Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. So nice to see you all. Oh, that was uh, wonderful music again this morning. And I want to begin by asking you all a question. Have any of you ever prayed for 25 years for something to happen? 25 years or longer. But have you prayed for 25 years? Have you ever seen a promise in God's word that correctly interpreted could apply to you as a believer in Christ? And yet, you struggle and you don't seem to realize the power of that promise in your life. The truth of that promise coming true and being lived out in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit and you continue to pray. And along the way you stumble, not once, not twice, at least three times or more in major ways as you're trying to realize the reality and truth of that promise of God being fulfilled in your life. Perhaps you've prayed for a loved one for six months or two years or five years or ten years, but have you prayed for 25 years? The reason why I'm stressing this is, as our brother Joe read to us this morning, it is finally now in Genesis chapter 21, the story began, the account, the narrative began back in Genesis 12. That was 25 years earlier from the passage that our brother Joe read for us now. Abraham entered the promised land in Genesis 12 at the age of 75. He's now 100 years old. He had waited that long. He had stumbled and fallen, as we've heard multiple times. Abraham was the inventor of yo-yo faith, up and down, just like you and I. We can relate to that. We resemble that. Yet still, he's the father of the faithful. He's now 100 years old, and finally, in God's own time, according to the plan that God had ordained from eternity past. Now would be the time, just as he had said a year earlier, that Sarah would bear a child. Remember, in those days, the bearing of a child was not something that was necessarily a given. The death of babies and of the mother was not unheard of. There wasn't mod modern medical methods of delivering a child if there was a problem or distress. So it was not an automatic thing from a human standpoint. Yet God promised it, and Abraham would believe it and cling to it, even though at times his faith would lapse. The title of today's message is God's Faithful Promise Fulfilled. This promise that we read about that is going to be fulfilled that we'll talk about is no different from any promise in God's Word. 
every single one of his promises will come true, will come to pass. Many of them have already come to pass in the past. Not a single one of his promises has fallen to the ground, to the earth, empty, unfulfilled. They have all come to pass or will come to pass. None of them have failed. That's quite a track record. And in this passage, we see the 25-year-long promise finally fulfilled in God's own time and in God's way. In Genesis 21, the Lord God is revealed as the faithful God who always fulfills his promises. If there was any doubt before chapter 21 that this would ever happen, ever come to pass as the Lord had promised, the way the Lord is revealed in Genesis 21 puts all that to rest. The Lord is faithful and he always fulfills his promise just as the music ministry sang today and hopefully us echoing those words as well. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. No matter what happened in Abraham's life, God was faithful to Abraham to fulfill everything that he had promised. What should we take away from today's message from the passage of Scripture that hopefully by the power of the true teacher of the word, the Holy Spirit will come alive today and speak to every heart, not just one thing. I'd like you to take two things away today. The first is God can always be trusted to fulfill all his promises in your life. Never doubt that. You can always trust God. And secondly, God wants separation and purity in your life. You may have noticed that coming out in some of the verses of Genesis 21 and in Galatians chapter 4 that we read together. God wants separation and purity in your life. These 21 verses break down sort of like a sandwich. On the outside, there's God's faithful promise fulfilled. The first one in the first eight verses is his promise to Abraham and to Sarah. And then in the last two verses, we see the promise fulfilled that he gave to Hagar. We're going to look at this passage under these four headings. Let's begin with the promise that he made to Abraham and then to Sarah being fulfilled. God will always remember his promises. He will always fulfill them. The Lord took note. We don't read that Sarah and Abraham decided to gather the entire group together. Remember, he had over 300 armed men. That's not counting their wives and older children. We don't read that they gathered them all together. Maybe... 800 or 1,000 or more of them. Let's have a prayer meeting to remind the Lord. Let's offer sacrifices. Let's make a lot of noise and get, get the Lord's attention so that he remembers that, oh, he's supposed to fulfill his promise at this time of the year. No, we don't read about that. The Lord was the one who remembered. The Lord was the one who initiated he fulfilled his promise to them. The Lord took note 
of Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord is not just about talk. He also is about action. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Nothing more and nothing less. He did perfectly according to his word. God's faithfulness will always be experienced by us in our lives, just like Abraham and Sarah experienced it. God does not change. He says that in the Old Testament, I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, yea, and forever. God and Christ do not change. The God that we see in Scripture, faithful to fulfill his promises, is your God too. He will fulfill all that he has promised. We will experience God's faithfulness in our life. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. All of us can confess that with joy. We can confess it again and again. It never ceases to be true. So Sarah conceived and bore a son. In her life, the reality of the promise of God. She conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his own old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken. You are going to know about God's promises in the same way that Abraham and Sarah did, through the word of the Lord. For them, he met and spoke. For us, he speaks through the word of God, the Bible, the inspired scripture. God's faithfulness expects our faithful obedience to his word. Look, I want to be clear here. We do not work for our salvation. We do not earn our salvation. God does not owe us salvation for anything we have done. The same thing is true of his blessings after salvation. We don't work for them. He doesn't owe us any blessing at all. He doesn't bless us because we are faithful at times and obedient to the instructions in his word. God's faithfulness, however, expects you and I to be faithful to his word. He prepared good works from eternity past for every believer in Christ to walk in, in Ephesians 2.10. His faithfulness expects a faithful response from us. Proverbs says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up strife. God's faithfulness produces faithfulness in us. It ought to. He doesn't owe us blessing, but when we are faithful, we are in a position to be blessed. When we are unfaithful, the child of God is in a position to be chastised. God's faithfulness expects our obedience to his word, our faithfulness and obedience to his word. Abraham called the name of his son Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. 
Why did he name his son Isaac? Do you remember that? Back in Genesis chapter 17, Abraham had tried to fulfill God's promise in the flesh, have a son through Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, and God gives him a painful reminder of circumcision. Every day, Abraham would be reminded never to fulfill God's promise in the flesh. And so in obedience to that, the Lord's saying, not only you, Abraham, but every male in your house, and then every child, uh, son born when he's eight, years old, uh, eight days old must be circumcised. He was obedient to what the Lord required of him. God was faithful to provide Isaac. Abraham was obedient to circumcise him on the eighth day. But he also called his name Isaac. In chapter 17, when God told him that he will have a son, he laughed. He laughed that Sarah and and himself would have a child. He laughed out loud before the Lord. And the Lord gave him another reminder to always trust in the promises of God. He said, oh, you're laughing? You're going to name your son Isaac. You know what the Hebrew name Isaac means? He laughs. He laughs. Every time he called his son, Isaac, come! He had a reminder. Every time he thought of the name of his son, every time he heard his son, his son's name, every time he heard that little boy laugh as he grew, he had a reminder that he doubted the promise of God. God gives reminders. Sometimes they're painful, like circumcision. Sometimes it's a little more humorous, like he laughs. God's faithfulness expects our faithful obedience to his word. God's faithfulness to fulfill his promise does not depend upon us. It doesn't depend upon you and I. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. This was miraculous that Sarah would have conceived. It's not just Sarah's age of 90, but it's Abraham's age as well that comes into play here. They weren't in the prime of their life. Sure, Abraham would live many years longer, but it would be as an old man. His later years just carried on a long time. God's faithfulness to see to it that Sarah would conceive and that Abraham would father a child through Sarah did not depend upon them. In fact, he waited, as we had read in Hebrews 11 together with our brother Joe, as good as dead. It was not within them to bring about the fulfillment of this promise. God did it. He used them, but he brought it about. This was a miraculous birth 
This is going to become very interesting, Lord willing, next week when we look at uh, Genesis 22. Because Isaac, in his miraculous birth, and in what we see in Genesis 22, you can't help but notice point after point after point similarity with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a picture of Jesus Christ. Things that were true of Isaac, the child of promise, would be true of the Lord Jesus Christ, the child of the implicit promise given to Eve that her seed would bruise the serpent's head. God's faithfulness always reminds us to trust in him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. God has made. She gives the glory to God. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. She remembered that all the good that happened to her in her life, she owed to God. It all came from him. It wasn't her. Who would have thought it? And she gave all the glory to God. God's faithfulness should always result in concrete expressions of gratitude. God is so faithful to us. How do we respond with concrete expressions of gratitude? Here's what Abraham did. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. He made a great feast. He didn't just say, I'm so grateful to the Lord. It was more than lip service. This involved time to make the feast. It involved effort to make the feast. And in this case, it involved expense, personal expense to make the feast. Brothers and sisters, God is so faithful to you and I, isn't he? When has the Lord God ever let us down? He never has, and he never will. This ought to produce such gratefulness and appreciation within us. And expressions of gratitude and appreciation are not just restricted to words, to singing these glorious hymns that we sang this morning, four beautiful, beautiful hymns of praise to God. The lyrics focused on him and so much thanksgiving in all of them. Those are wonderful. Don't misunderstand me. That should be part. Sometimes I catch myself singing in the shower or I'll wake up with some of the words of uh, one of the hymns that the music ministry has done on a Sunday morning. I'll be, I'll be thinking about those dur- during the day. But our gratitude and appreciation should be more than just that. At times, it will involve effort on our part. It'll involve not just the sacrifice of praise, as the New Testament terms it, but the sacrifice of our time, the sacrifice of our effort. And sometimes, 
the sacrifice of our material means, perhaps money. Look, we heard this morning that uh, our brother Kevin needs some assistance in carrying out the work of the Lord, because that's what it is, the work of the Lord. It is no less important and no more important than anything you see up here in front of you this morning. It is a ministry, a service for the Lord that is intended to bring Him glory and to be used to build up the saints in some way. There's different ways to build up the saints. He needs your help. Would you please pray and see if God's faithfulness in your life will somehow motivate you For some of you, that may not be what God wants. But if you don't pray about it sincerely, open to the Lord, how will you know? Would you do that, please? Make that an object of prayer each day this week. Ask the Lord if he could somehow clear your schedule so that you can assist even just once a month an hour of your time or whatever it takes to assist our brother Kevin with the ministry that he's serving in. God's faithful plan includes purity. This is very important. God's faithfulness is often mocked by unbelievers. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. Ishmael was mocking. In fact, in Hebrews, we read that he persecuted, I'm sorry, in Galatians, he persecuted Isaac. He may have been plotting at some point Isaac's death. Can't be dogmatic on that. We know there was persecution and not just mockery. Remember, before Isaac, who was going to inherit everything? It was Ishmael, right? The only son. He was going to inherit everything. But now with Isaac, the child of Abraham's wife, not the child of Sarah's handmaiden, Isaac, even though he's 14 years younger, is going to be the one to inherit. Not Ishmael. And so we read in the New Testament that he persecuted Isaac. Perhaps, as we'll find out with uh, Joseph and his brothers, he may even have plotted in some way Isaac's death. But he began with mocking. And then it would become persecution according to the New Testament. God's faithfulness will be mocked. Brothers and sisters, if there's something good and right about your Christian testimony that is mocked by the unsaved, what's good and right is God's faithfulness to you. It's the Holy Spirit reproducing the character of Christ in you. That is what the unbeliever finds objectionable. Not just you, but Christ in you. That is what they're mocking. That is what they object to. 
God's faithful covenant promise cannot be shared in by unbelievers. There is only one way to get into God's covenants, his unconditional covenants, particularly the new covenant. It's by faith and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his faithful covenant promise cannot be shared in by unbelievers. Sarah said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. He cannot inherit with Isaac. Same thing is true in the New Testament. In the New Covenant, the unbeliever will not have their part in Christ's salvation. Without faith and trust in him and what he accomplished on the cross when he bore the sins of the world in his body, shed his precious blood and died. Without repentance and trust in Christ, they will never be part of that new covenant. It cannot be shared in by the unbeliever. Even in the midst of God's faithfulness, our past failures may still cause us pain. And that's a reminder for us to remain pure and trust in God's promises. Sarah said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. He loved Ishmael so much. He had waited so long for a son. And then he brings about Sarah and Abraham a way to fulfill God's promise in the flesh. And when God comes to him and tells him, no, 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 Abraham, it's not going to be Ishmael. It's going to be another son, and his name will be called Isaac. You will name him Isaac. Do you remember what Abraham said? It's like he discounts what the Lord had just said. He said, oh, may Ishmael live before you. I don't want this other son. I want Ishmael. That's what he said. He loved Ishmael that much. And so the matter distressed Abraham greatly, because of his son. God uses these past failures as reminders, the pain of them as reminders, not to beat us down, not to discourage us, but to prod us on, to move us forward and upward so that we don't make those same mistakes again and again and again. God's faithful word gives comfort even in the face of our failures. God didn't say to him, serves you right, Abraham. He said to Abraham, don't be distressed. Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. God comforts him, even though he had failed through lack of trust in the promise and power of God to bring about what he had promised what he said we, he would do. God still encourages him. God still comforts him. Don't be distressed. For through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That's what you ought to focus on. Isaac, the child of promise, not Ishmael. But he go, he's going to go even further. And before we see that, I want to share with you all every married woman's 
favorite Bible verse? Did you know that you, you think you have your favorite? You're going to change it when you see the next slide. This is every married woman's favorite Bible verse. It's part of verse 12, some of the words that I left out. God said to Abraham, whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. You have a new favorite Bible verse, uh, ladies. God's faithfulness often extends even to those close to us. And the son of the maid I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. God comforts Abraham in his love for Ishmael and extends his comfort and his promise, a new promise, a different promise, a promise only for time, only temporal, no eternal aspect to it. He extends that to even those close to Abraham, to Hagar, and Ishmael, and he extends it to us. And the son of the maid, Ishmael, I will make a great nation also. Why? Because he is your dependent. You know, that's not just a principle, a promise in Genesis 21. It happens to be a principle that you'll find even in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In the case of a mixed marriage, a believer and an unbeliever, Paul makes very clear in 1 Corinthians 7 that the unbelieving spouse is blessed by association with the believing spouse. It says it right there. You can read it for yourself. God will often, his faithfulness will often extend even to the unsaved that are closest to us. Doesn't mean they're saved. Doesn't mean they're going to inherit eternal life without and apart from faith, their own personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But he blesses them. Jesus Christ said the same thing in the greatest sermon ever preached in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about God being the Father, not merely of the believer, not only of the believer, but also the father of everyone by virtue of creation. He's a father in a different sense, not a salvific father. You're, the, the unsaved are not part of his family that will inherit eternal life, but he blesses them nonetheless. Jesus Christ said it this way, that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And yet, how often do they acknowledge him for those blessings and more? God's faithfulness should produce grateful obedience no matter how difficult. And remember how much Abraham loved Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He was distressed over the fact that he was going to have to put out from his larger family unit Hagar and Ishmael. Yet, despite that, Abraham rose early, took bread and water and gave them to Hagar, gave her the boy and sent her away. She departed and wandered about in the wilderness. Grateful obedience to God's faithfulness is never to be ignored because it's difficult. Abraham followed through with something that was very, very difficult for him when he obeyed God. 
When God said, whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her. And then Sarah told him. And he obeyed the Lord through Sarah and sent them away. The next chapter, Lord willing, in 22, he's going to have an even more difficult test of his father's heart. But Lord willing, we'll look at that next week. God's faithful provision to Hagar and Ishmael will be provided. God's faithfulness comes out at every point in this chapter. After Hagar and Ishmael are sent out and they're wandering in the wilderness, when the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. She went and sat down opposite him about a bowshot away, for she said, do not let me see the boy die. She sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. Remember, at this point, Ishmael is in his mid to late teens. The water in the skin is used up, and they, they only see death. Remember, they're in a desert. You've seen pictures before. I've shown you what this desert is like. There's no life there, no water. But God's faithfulness does not depend upon life circumstances. We, we could be so down and out in our life. And God's faithfulness to us is not going to depend upon that. He's able to accomplish in your life and mine whatever he truly wants to accomplish. It doesn't matter what we have in terms of material things. It doesn't matter what we have in terms of health. God will accomplish all his good pleasure in you and through you. Our life circumstances are not going to prevent God from acting. If you find yourself in a difficult situation in life, at this stage of your life, at this point in time, it's not going to prevent God from acting and showing himself faithful to you. He can do that wherever you are in life at this point in time. God's faithfulness is known always through his word. If, if you ever doubt God's faithfulness, if you ever are not sure about God's faithfulness, that tells you something. You need to be in his word more. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar and said to her, Do not fear, for God has heard. It was the word of the Lord that gave her comfort, that gave her assurance. It was through the word of the Lord that God's promises became clear to her. It's no different for the believer today. If you fear, your faith may fail, as the traditional hymn says. God will hold me fast. He will hold you fast, yes, but he will comfort your heart in the same way he did Hagar here through his word. It, it, if you feel your faith failing, if, it, if you're doubting it, the promises of God, if you're having trouble trusting, that, that's like a thermometer. You know when you don't feel well, oh, I think I have a fever. You take your temperature. Oh, sure enough. 
I'm wrong. I have a fever. When you, this, that's what this is. It's like, a, it's like a spiritual thermometer. When you feel that you can't trust the Lord or you feel that your faith is weak, that spiritual thermometer is telling you something. It's telling you, you need to be in God's word more. And I don't mean academically. I mean prayerfully in God's word, reading it, thanking him for the promises, confessing the sins that the word brings out that you recognize are in you, rejoicing in his promises, uh, expressing your needs to him. You go through his word prayerfully. If you ever want to see how that's done, you know, I'd be happy to show you. We'll take a psalm, a few verses of the psalm, and I'll show you how to pray through it. The psalms are easy to do, but you can do it with any passage of Scripture. I'd be happy to, to show you how to do that. And, and I think uh, I've done this with some of the young men uh, that have discipled with me, and they have told me that that is a great blessing. They never thought about praying through God's Word in that way. But, but I've done it for 48 years and I can tell you, God is so real. When you do this, it's, he just becomes such an important, intimate part of your life, moment by moment. God's faithfulness does expect faithfulness from us. God tells Hagar, look, I'm going to be faithful to you. Don't you worry. But he also gives instructions. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. God expects faithfulness for us, from us, but he also tells us why. He wants to bless us. When he gives these instructions, when he tells Hagar, don't just leave the lad there to die, lift him up, I'm going to make a great nation of him. It was for her blessing and his blessing. Same thing with you and I. When God gives instructions in his word, it is for not only his glory, but for our blessing. It's not to ruin our fun. He's not a cosmic killjoy uh, to ruin all your fun in life. He gives us instructions for our blessing. And then lastly, God's faithfulness brings blessing. It definitely does. It adds blessing and there's never any hurt, never any downside to it. God was with the lad, and he grew. This is the positive thing we read about Ishmael. He was not even the child of promise, but obedience to God's word always brings a blessing. If it brings a blessing to Ishmael, who is not the child of promise, how much more does obedience to God's word bring a blessing to those who partake of his promise. You, brothers and sisters, who have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. God's faithfulness is always right. What do I mean by this? The thought may cross your mind. You know, why didn't God stop Sarah? That is terrible that, that God told Abraham, listen to Sarah, and God knew what Sarah was going to do. Cast out Hagar and Ishmael. Let them die. Sarah's intent was for them to die in the wilderness. Yet what she meant for evil, God was going to use to bless them. 
temporally, not salvifically, not eternally. But God's faithfulness to Isaac, the child of promise, was right. It was right to cast them out. How so? How do we get this out of verses 20 and 21? Remember, when you read the Bible, you need to read it the way the original readers would have read it, the way the author intended it to be understood. Who read this first? The Jews. What was the Jews' relationship with Egypt? We're going to find out when we're done with the Joseph study. What comes after Genesis? Exodus. Where is Israel? They are in slavery in Egypt. Egypt was one of their main enemies. The first readers of this, when Moses wrote it, would have been the Jews. Those who were descendants of those who were held in slavery in Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. Egypt is an idolatrous nation that hates the Lord God, that worships false gods. All of this is what is in the mind and heart and understanding of the Jews who read this account. Ishmael lived in the wilderness and began and became an archer. He didn't live in the promised land. He lived in the wilderness. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife from him. Remember, she was Egyptian. She was of the world. She was one of the enemies of Israel, an ancestor of the enemies of Israel, and she took a wife from him from the land of Egypt. See, the impression that the reader would have gotten is that Ishmael was an enemy of God. He was part of the world. He was an idolater who worshipped false gods and had no love in his heart for the Lord God, the one true God of heaven and earth. And so, if you think, why didn't God stop all this? It's because of the spiritual nature of Ishmael and Hagar. They were not devoted to the Lord God. They were of Egypt. They were of the world. They were unbelievers. And the blessing of the Lord towards unbelievers only goes so far. Whereas the blessing of the Lord towards his children, those who are of faith and of promise, goes on for all eternity. God's faithfulness is always right. It was right to a degree for Hagar and Ishmael, but it was also right to separate that influence from Isaac. In conclusion, God was revealed as the faithful God who always fulfills his promises. And remember to think about this this week and and prayerfully ponder it. God can always be trusted to fulfill all of his promises in your life. And please know that God wants separation and purity in your life. So today, will you begin to always trust God to fulfill all of his promises to you? Would you do that? Would you make that a matter of prayer? Ask God to strengthen your faith so that you will always trust in what he has said in his word? And will you begin by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life of holy purity, worthy of his promises to you?
Christ's strongest words were for hypocrites. Everyone else, the weak, he lifted up and encouraged. Attempt to live that life by the power of the Holy Spirit, of holy purity. If you fail, he will lift you up. He will hold you fast. And he'll do that for his glory and for your blessing as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your goodness to us. How we thank you for being the faithful God that you are, that at every point you remain faithful to what you have said, what you have spoken, what you have recorded in your word. Oh, dear God, how we love you for it. For we know where we always stand. There's, there's no capriciousness in you. There's, there's no vindictiveness in you. You make your word clear to us and your promise is clear and we know where we stand. And we thank you so much for that. We thank you, dear God, that even when we are faithless, you remain faithful for you cannot deny yourself. We thank you that you are not a harsh master like the Pharaoh of Egypt would be. We thank you that you are a kind and wise and benevolent God. We thank you that you don't place any great burden upon us, but that all you have required from each one of us is that we be found faithful, as your word says. And so, dear God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you be pleased to help us to become more faithful in our labor of love and gratitude for you. And we praise you again for always being the faithful God. Amen.